sweat and tears that my mum poured out for us kids. Uh, I think of when I went off to boarding school when I was a tender 11-year-old. Mum would send long letters expressing her and dad's love and concern for how I was doing, complete with lots of details, asking questions about, uh, do I clean my teeth properly? Uh, instructions on how to wash my clothes in case I've forgotten, and generally how to be a reasonably domesticated human being, none of which became particularly easy to me. A second memory that really exemplified how long-suffering and patient and loving mum was, was one holidays we went to Queensland and uh, I had just broken the happy news as we got there to mum that my, I had failed my ancient Greek assignment and which was deemed to be a pathetic attempt by my teacher. However, rather than give me the appropriate mark that I deserved, my teacher said resubmit it in two weeks after the holidays. Now, mum was an English history teacher and she was horrified at my lazy slapdash effort on this assignment. But instead of leaving me to my own devices and making me start from scratch, she painstakingly spent hours with me holding my hand and dragging me each step of the way until I actually produced a pretty decent second attempt. She basically sacrificed her holidays for my sake. Why did she bother? Well, because she was my mum. She loved me unconditionally, treating me not as I deserve, but lovingly, graciously, faithfully. And in that respect, she echoed the kind of love that God has for us. The kind of love that we see in Psalm 36. A patient, persevering, constant love that celebrates a particular love that is unique to God. A mother can echo that to, to an extent, but at the end of the day, this love is a very specific love that only God has. And it's expressed by a Hebrew word, hesed, or actually hesed, but I won't uh, do that because I might spit on you every time I say it. Uh, I apologise for throwing a kind of strange Hebrew word at you, but there's not really an adequate translation in English. It, it, it's the idea of loving kindness, uh, a steadfast love, which God shows through his covenant or covenants that he made with his people. His promises that are given in the Old Testament and that continue uh, into the New Testament and are eventually fulfilled in Jesus. Psalm 36 is a celebration of the fullness of God's Hesed, his faithful love that fills the whole of creation, that overflows in his faithfulness, his righteousness and his justice. And it overflows to us, his people, as we find in God a refuge, we enjoy his abundant provision and receive from his hesed life and light. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word in Psalm 36. We thank you for the reminder that it gives us that your hesed, your covenant love, shows us that you are for us. It shows us that you don't abandon us, even though we deserve it. And it shows us in particular 
that your love finds its fulfilment in the Lord Jesus when he died for us at the cross. We ask, Lord, for ears to hear and eyes to see your love today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm 36 is about God's hesed, his faithful love in keeping his covenant promises. But it begins talking about the wicked person, the one who rejects God. And the picture we are given of them is that they are empty and hollow because there is none of the fullness of God in them. So my first point is the hollow man. Ah, sorry, yep, the hollow man. Follow along with me. I'll have the Bible verses up on the screen. I'll have your Bibles open. So verse 1 says, I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. Verse 3, the, wor the words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or do good. Even on their beds they plot evil, they commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. So notice that the wicked are characterised by an absence of good. There is no fear of God before their eyes. They fail to act wisely or, do, or, or to do good. No wisdom, no good. And there's also a failure to do what is right. Verse 4, they do not reject what is wrong. So the wicked are hollow with the goodness of God, absent, lacking from their life. But the things that they do have, they want to hide because they're things that are shameful and evil. Have a look at how the ESV puts verse 2. For the evil man flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. He thinks he can hide his sin. He doesn't want it to come to light. He is a hollow man who lacks the goodness of God and even what he does have, he hides and whitewashes. This description is pretty brutal, isn't it? It holds nothing back. But it actually captures what people without Jesus are like. And just so we don't think we're any better before we met Jesus, that was us as well. Without God, we are hollow. We cover it up. We pretend to have a veneer of wisdom and goodness, but that's all it is, a veneer. Underneath what drives us, motivates us, is selfishness, ambition. Without God... The human condition is characterised by a sense of emptiness and lack of meaning. We try to cover it up and create a sense of purpose and meaning, but at the end of the day, it's all window dressing and it can't address the root of the problem. Without God, we are empty. We try to hide our true nature from the world. I think we all have an uneasy sense that if people could see into our souls as we really are, no one would be able to accept us and we can't, wouldn't even be able to accept ourselves. And so we pretend that our iniquity cannot be found. 
We hide it from ourselves and we hide it from others. In our natural state, we are hollow people who put on a mask to hide our true selves from the world. Well, that's a cheery note, isn't it, to start with? It all sounds pretty depressing, doesn't it? And, and even as I say these things, there's a voice inside me saying, hang on, Marshall, ease up. Uh, we can't really be that bad, can we? But then we hear the, Apostles Paul, the Apostle Paul's verdict in Romans 1. Where are we? Um, yep, Romans 1.18. Uh, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Pretty depressing stuff, isn't it? It almost makes you want to go home and crawl under the doona in the fetal position and not bother to get up for work in the morning. Why bother? Because that's not the last word. Because God has spoken another word, a word of hesed. Against the emptiness and hollowness of the human condition, the psalmist goes on to rejoice in our second point, in the fullness of God's hesed. In stark contrast to the hollowness and emptiness of human beings, God's particular Hesed love overflows to fill his creation. Look at verse 5. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Love and faithfulness are basically expressing the same idea. Put together, it points to God's Hesed love, which is shown in his faithfulness to Israel in the Old Testament in keeping his covenant. It's a love that can't be contained. By its nature, it is self-giving, with God ever looking ever further and further to include not only Israel, but the whole of creation in his blessing. We see that, don't we, in the way God's plans to save the entire world unfolds in the story of the Bible. Um, at first, yes, the focus is on uh, one man, Abraham, uh, and then one people, Israel, which becomes a nation. But then it becomes clear that God wants to use Israel as the way that the nations hear about him and come to share in that salvation. In the Old Testament, we don't really see that come to fruition because the people fail in that mission and it's not until the New Testament that we see God's plan really come to fulfilment as the gospel goes out to the nations. So God's head reaches to the ends of the earth and to the heavens. And then the psalmist goes on to say that God's goodness is like his creation. Verse 6, your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the the great deep. Righteousness and justice aren't exactly the same thing, but they go together and they overlap. 
The picture here is that when they are put together, they go from one extreme of creation to the other. Notice that, the highest heights to the deepest depths. The picture is that there's no part of creation that they don't reach, that they don't cover. But more than that, righteousness is like the mountains. One of the things I loved living about living in Taiwan when we did uh, was the mountains. Uh, for an island of its size, it's actually got some pretty impressive mountains. And they look magnificent. Um, one of my favourite views, uh, memories in Taiwan, is driving the boys to school on the outskirts of Kaohsiung. Uh, we would, on a clear day, we would have an unimpeded view of the central mountain range. Uh, they were beautiful mountains, majestic. I love staring at those mountains. There's something about mountains. They're, they're beautiful and imposing and solid, and they seem to dominate their surroundings. The righteousness of God is like a mountain. And his justice is like the great deep. Really deep lakes or oceans have both terrified and fascinated human beings through the ages. Uh, and a lot of the reason for that is that until very recently in human history, uh, we just haven't been able to go down there. So we have had no idea what they're like and what's in there. As a young lad, I was fascinated with the Loch Ness Monster uh, and, and Loch Ness. Uh, again, uh, it was a myth that developed in a place that was deeply mysterious. Uh, no one was able to go, it was a, a particularly deep lake, and no one was able to go to the bottom and see what was there. God's justice is like the deep an obvious point is that it's, well, it's deep. We can't fathom it. We can't get to the bottom of it. It's way beyond any human idea of justice. It's beyond our understanding. Just as we don't know what's at the bottom of the deepest oceans, God's justice is also beyond our wisdom. And at times, God's justice can make us afraid, can't it? We're afraid of judgment, afraid of God's anger, afraid that we don't measure up to God's standards. I want to come back to this picture of God's hesed that reaches the heavens and his righteousness and justice that are like the mountains and the depths because there's more to be said on that. But let's move on. David then goes on to describe the blessings of God's hesed in our third section, there are three things that he identifies. Refuge, abundance and life. Even though it comes first, I want to deal with refuge last. So God's hesed brings abundance. Look at verse 8. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from the river of delights. Literally, the Hebrew says they feast in the fat of your house. You give them drink from your river of luxury. The fat of your house might not sound that attractive to us, but to an Israelite, it will conjure up pictures of feasting with fat and abundance, succulent meat of overflowing blessings. 
And as it says, there's a river of luxury. And it's a contrast to the hollow man, isn't it? The hollow man was defined by emptiness and his lack, a lack of the goodness of God. But God's goodness overflows to the one who trusts in his hesed, his loving kindness found in his covenant, his generosity, his grace, his sustaining hand, all make that person full, satisfied, abundant. Secondly, God's hesed is a fountain of life. Verse 9. For with you is the fountain of light, life, rather. In your light we see light. The river of luxury is a fountain that brings life. The covenant that Yahweh made with his people assured them of his continuing, sustaining, life-giving love. For he did for them what, what he did for them in the past by delivering them from Egypt out of the hand of Pharaoh, from slavery, through the Exodus, was God's assurance to them time and time again through the history of the Old Testament that God was with them back then and that he promises to continue to be with them now. Then the second half of the verse says that God brings light. In your light we see light. Now light and life are closely tied together in the Bible. God is light because he shows us truth and the way out of darkness. And when we have God's light, it is like the headlights go on in our hearts. We see things through God's life-giving perspective. The hollow man has no light in him because God is not in him. His words are trouble and deceit. He hides his sin and he lives in the darkness. But friends, we can speak the truth. We don't have to hide our actions or who we are because we live in the light. Lastly, God's hesed is a refuge. Verse 7. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. The Israelites took refuge from Pharaoh in Yahweh's shadow as he led them out of Egypt. As he went with them, he protected them as they wandered in the desert. He led them and guided them under his wings, giving them his shadow in the heat of the desert. And then as they went into the promised land, he was ever present with them. He pitched his tent and made his dwelling with them, with the tabernacle. He guided them with a cloud by day and fire by night until they came into the land. Like a mother hen, protecting her chicks. Only chicks listen to their mother, don't they? And they stick with her. 
But Israel consistently rejected the constant love of God to the point where they turned against the Son of God and decided to kill him. And the Son of God cried for his children. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. There was no other way. God in his head could not reject his children. He could not turn away. And so his faithful son went to the cross. And it's at the cross that we see the beauty of God's head in its completeness. As I said earlier, that we would return to that picture of, that, of his faithfulness, the righteousness and justice of God's hesed. We saw earlier from verse 5, have a look at it again, your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. The cross shows God's love without limits. It reaches the heavens that's the same as saying it goes as far as it's possible to go. It shows that God would stop at nothing to bring life to his children. The same children who snubbed their noses at him, rejected him, went their own evil way. God went as far as it is possible to go in showing us his love by sending his own precious son to die for us. And it wasn't as if God reassured Jesus of his presence and comfort each step of the way as he, as he went on that journey, that dark journey to the cross. Because as he hung on the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from receiving the comfort of his Father, he was rejected, forsaken, with God's wrath for our sin poured out on him. Also, all so that he, God's hesed, could be given to us. Jesus was rejected, so we would not be rejected. Verse 6 again. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. We often think that we know how God should run the world, don't we? Or at least I, I sometimes do in my arrogance. Uh, that, yeah, God, you should put right these wrongs. You should put an end to suffering. You should give people what they deserve. But God's justice is like the great deep. It's beyond our understanding. No human would ever come up with the cross as God's solution to justice in the world. But it's the perfect answer. It's the perfect answer to the desperate wickedness of our sin being dealt with, evil being punished, but in a way where we don't pay the price. And Satan and death along with sin, that evil trinity of despair, 
is dealt, they're dealt with once and for all in God's justice. And it's as we look at the cross that we see the righteousness of God in its full magnificence, like a mountain that holds us transfixed by its beauty. But friends, I recognise that sometimes it's hard to see the mountains, isn't it? Sometimes we find it hard to even look up beyond ourselves. Sometimes we're so dragged down by life that we just can't see beyond our own troubles. You may be here today struggling with being weary and tired. Maybe sickness or lack of energy or feeling dry or a lack of joy. If that's you, then know that God's Hesed, his faithful love, is with you. It may be hard to see right now, but he is with you. He is sheltering you from the storm with the shadow of his wings. In your weakness, he is strong. Lean on him and he will lift you up. If you are dry and empty with nothing to give to others, come to his house and join the feast. Drink from the river of luxury. Drink his living water that satisfies. Find fullness in Jesus who poured out his blood and emptied himself so that we could be made whole. Maybe today you've been knocked around so much by life that you're feeling jaded or cynical. Maybe you're even feeling bitter towards God because he hasn't seemed to answer your prayers for help. Maybe you're feeling a bit like the hollow man, empty and with more darkness inside you than light. Lift your eyes to the mountain. Jesus knows your darkness. He will not abandon you even though you may feel like giving up on him and even on yourself. There is no light through that darkness. Sorry, there is light through that darkness and that is Jesus. There's no point of no return with God. It's never too late to turn back to him. He's said his faithful love for you that will not let go was guaranteed at the cross. If you're struggling today to feel God's forgiveness, or perhaps you're not yet a Christian who has never experienced God's forgiveness, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. There is no sin that's too big. There is no person that's too bad for God. The Hesed love of God reaches the heavens as far as it is possible to reach. It cannot be exhausted. Come to Jesus and see the power of his forgiveness, the reach of his love.
and the steadfastness of his faithfulness. Friends, let's stand and sing together in response to God's Hesed love.